0: So, it's Thanksgiving this Thursday, and uh, that means that next week we start Advent. We start preparing for Christmas. And you know, as a pastor, it's funny because the stories never change. Christmas doesn't evolve into something different. There's no new characters introduced. We can't kill any of them off and bring on new ones and so it's kind of the it's it's always a a challenge a little bit to bring Advent. You know, you know, you can only preach so much on peace, hope, love, peace, hope. What's the other one? Joy. Joy escapes me. It, it can only preach so many times on that. And so what I've done is I've gone back through the years of of Christmas and About four years ago, in 2009, we did something as a church called the Advent Conspiracy. And uh, I I took out my notes and I kind of looked through this. It's based on a book that was written even longer ago than that by, uh, I think, Chris Shea and uh, a guy by the name of McKinley. He's a pastor out in, um, in Washington, Washington State. And as I was reading through my notes, I'm like, wow, you know, I've, 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 come, I've come pretty far sometime in my theology and my thinking. I'm like, wow, this is good, you know, I've, I've grown. And then some of the things I was looking at, I'm like, ooh, I'm not still not doing so good over here. And, and, and so I thought, well, maybe you too are not doing so good in some areas of Christmas. And so I want to go back to that five-week series called The Advent Conspiracy. And this is today is the introduction to that introduction to what we're going to be thinking, what we're going to kind of wrestle with as we enter into the, the Christmas, the Christmas season. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to get right into it. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for the love that you have for us. I want to thank you for Christmas and for Thanksgiving when families will get together. Lord, I pray that we would not forget to be thankful let it resonate in our hearts. Let, it, let, it, um, let us express it to those around us, what we're thankful for. And most of all, Lord, we're thankful for Jesus Christ, that he came and he saved us, and that we could know you personally through him. Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So Thomas Merton, he wrote, "...the earthly desires men cherish are shadows." And he goes on to say that there can be no real happiness or joy found in them. And what he's saying is that the things that we, that we possess, the things that we get, the things that we acquire, the things that we collect, we can't really find joy and happiness in those things because they don't last they come they go they they fall apart all of most of the furniture in your house will one day be in a, a landfill maybe even your house and so we we don't find happiness in those things and so I was thinking the question that we we have to ask ourselves is not well do I do I look for happiness in, in things I don't think that's the question the question is, Why do I look for my happiness in certain things, in gathering things, in possessions? Why do I pursue joy in things that have no substance or no ability to give me joy? You know, it seems as we move through life in our culture, we rarely rarely find happiness. We rarely find rest and the things that we achieve, and the things that we possess. Because it always seems like we want we want something more. We want something other. We want something different. And so we're always in this pursuit of the something, the next thing, whatever that next thing may be. And in that pursuit, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of numb ourselves to the fact that we really walk through life in somewhat of a, of a discontent posture. We're, we're dissatisfied with what we have or where we are, and so we want kind of more or the new or the difference. And this and this wants is this just it's it's like this never ending cycle of wants or desire. Thomas Merton would also say that desire then becomes our only real satisfaction. To desire, to want. And our culture really kind of knows that the human species is controlled by desire on, on many many levels. And we don't. Want, I don't want to get philosophical or, or like way out there in in woo land. But so so we're just going to kind of we're going to kind of bring it down to to what the season we're entering into reflects in this desire. Because we are inundated in this time of year with commercials and ads and flyers and, and all of these things that, that are telling us about all of the other things that we really need. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it invokes in us, it builds in us desire. We we want these things. And look, here here are all the T V commercials and all of the ads and all of the billboards and all of the emails. And it's it's building in us this desire for stuff. And it tells us that that we need to have these things. You need to have, you deserve to have these things. It will make you a better person, a cooler person, more happy person if you just possess them. And so we're bombarded with all of these things and it's building in us this desire to have, to want, to get. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves standing in line getting, purchasing, acquiring To purchase things and to own things, it's not an evil thing. Please understand that. We live in a world where we need to have certain things. In our culture, we need to have certain things. And yes, in other cultures, they don't have the things that we have and the things that we take for granted. And I understand that. And we are kind of a, a selfish culture. I mean, we have a lot of good things and we still complain but we're not living in those other cultures. We live we live here. We live in America. And so there are certain things that we need. We need transportation. We can no longer just walk to work. Many commute for for many, like 45 minutes, an hour, to get back and forth to work. You can't walk that. You need some transportation. We need cars. We need buses. We need trains. We need We, we need a place to live. We need a roof over our heads. We need clothes. We need, we need food. We need a way to cook our food. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and they have not a stick worth of furniture in their house? No, you, you, you kind of need a sort of kind of place to sit down. And so this is the culture that we live in. We need to, we need, our communication has changed in the last 50 years beyond what anybody could ever think of. We communicate differently. How many of you have gone paperless? And so everything comes in the email, or in, to, in an email. That's the way we communicate now, through the internet, on email. We don't even get, I mean, we can even opt out of get a report card for our kids. We can go on to power school and we can just watch the grades as they go. And so things are different. And we, we need ways to access the internet and access email and communication. That's just the culture that we live in. It's not a bad thing. But the things that we need and the things that we want or desire can be can be very different. The things, the difference in needing and receiving, are the difference in needing and receiving are very different than desiring and wanting. They're very different postures in life. I have this email account. It's my junk email account. You know that one that you sign up for everything with? And you know, you give that email account. And so I get flooded with emails like 75, 50, 75 a day. And they're all junk. I mean, they're all just junk. 99.9% of them are just worthless. And I can, I know what's, what the latest car sales are. I know I could buy this printer with that computer, GNC and Bob's and Walgreens and Walmart and Target. And they're all just like sending me emails about all the specials that they're offering. And and, and you know, and they say, Dennis, I mean, they know me by name. It's like very personal. They just know that, that that I may want these things. I get the latest, you know, even in the Christian genre, Soul Fest has a Black Friday special, are real and 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 so i can get the latest christmas songs the latest christian Christ, uh, christian magazines and hey dennis your rolling stone is is ready to expire and, i mean all of these things come into this junk account all trying to invoke in me build in me a desire for things that they obviously know i need more than i do and it's flooded with stuff every single day and then it's it's calling me to purchase and to buy, and when I do, I only find that in a short period of time I become dissatisfied again. They keep coming with the emails. What I've seen for the last few weeks are these references to Black Friday already. The last few weeks, Black Friday already. Sneak peeks. It starts today. This is what's happening. You need to figure that. Come on down. We have a guarantee. If it's out of stock, we'll get it for you at the Black Friday price. Black Friday is, is has become this, this ideology in our culture. It's no longer just a day. And people are people are already churning this idea of what they need to get out and to get on this day. It's, and it's all for creating the 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 desire in us that we need something different or something more, something cooler, something better, either for myself or to give away as a gift. And they're they're giving me the opportunity to start early, to get a jump on those other people who want the same thing I want. And let me just tell you, I deserve it more than them. Because it comes into my email box, I think, first, I'm at the top of the list. I'm Dennis D A B C D. What saddens me is there's many major retailers that will be open on Thanksgiving. Because Black Friday wasn't good enough. And so they're giving me the opportunity to, to really get a head start. I can eat dinner, pound down some pie, and head out and get in line. And not even have to get up early for Black Friday shopping. They know exactly what I want. And they've postured themselves in the place that they will give it to me as early as possible. And to see this happens every single year. My desires never seem to be satisfied. Desire has become my only source of joy. Some would still, Some argue still that the fastest growing religion in our culture, and maybe even in the world, has nothing to do with Judaism or Islam or Christianity. And, and this new religion or this fastest growing religion has a certain, offers us a certain transcendence. It offers us this, this certain fulfillment that we can take from it. And it requires from us a certain amount of devotion. And they would say that this fastest growing religion is the religion of, of consumerism. And consumerism is defined as the social economic order that encourages the purchase of goods and services in even greater amounts. And I think the Bible has a little bit to say about such things. These are the words of Jesus in Luke 13. Jesus would say, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I I have to admit, this text, always causes a little tension inside of me it always it always kind of just push pushes and pulls at me i we as jesus followers i don't i think it would be a lie to say that none of us struggle with this idea none of us struggle in the area of god and 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 our money because the reality of it is we are all consumers we have to be consumers we need to be consumers if you were not a consumer, you would all be sitting here naked. Go ahead, you can laugh, because that would be really funny and a lot awkward. We have to we have to buy, we have to purchase. Bartering and trading, it, they don't work anymore. We have to go, we have to get a job, we have to earn this money, and then take this money and go to a place and buy our stuff. And I don't think any person that attends a Bible-believing church, a Bible-preaching church would say that they love money more than they love God. I, I mean, you, you just wouldn't say, and, and, I, and it's not that you would be lying. I really think that we all believe that we love God more than we love money. But I would wonder if we opened up our checkbook, what would that reveal? Would that be the truth? Or would it reveal something very different? Now understand, please, that God and money are not in, locked into some cosmic battle of good versus evil god's not worried that money's going to win god wins god always wins but what jesus is saying here is that when it comes to when it comes to money to cash we cannot remain neutral in it either either we are using it faithfully and in the service of God, and, and by doing so we're we're using some of our money to, to help those that are in need. It doesn't all just resolve around us. Or or we see that, that it takes on almost this um, this personified thing in us and money money serves the one who is in possession of it. Money selfishly can serve the one who possesses it. And now we don't like to use that. We don't even like to think about that thought, that that money can actually that we as Christians, as Jesus people, that we would be selfish in our finances and and it all just resolves around us. But we see it every single day in the church. Studies have been done. And in these studies, they they have kind of figured it out. I'm not sure how, but these people are kind of wicked smart. So I guess maybe they've done it. And they say that if all of the people who attend church, Christian churches in the world, if we all as Christians would just tithe, and then those churches in turn would tithe, then the Christian church could end world hunger. That the Christian church would end the problem of drinking water. Solve it. Not just help some people out. It's over. Done. World hunger is no longer a problem. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Meaning give to the government what's the government and give to God what is God's. Now I would say that we all know better to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Because if we don't give to Caesar what is Caesar's, then Caesar comes and takes it. And there are serious repercussions in that. But all too many of us, we give to God a portion of what's left over after we have fulfilled our own desire of what we want. The idea of consumerism, the unhealthy side of it, is the sense of always wanting to get more. And that comes down to a heart condition before the Lord. It comes down to what is important in your own heart. And Jesus is making us, trying to get us to understand that um, God and money are rooted in two very different worldviews. Very different worldviews. And you cannot in any way, shape, or form serve both of them. And the reason why this has caused me some tension this week is because I. I have to admit, I kind of ebb and flow in that. I kind of ebb and flow with with wanting things and going out and purchasing things, and and I could have done something different. I ebb and flow through my own personal selfishness. And so, could this mean that I'm no better than than early Israel? They They were early Israel in the Old Testament. If you see, yes, they served God but they also serve many of the gods in the cultures around them. We could say that they were polytheistic. They served many gods. And, and, and am I that? That I would serve another god besides the one true God? And, and, and by doing that, I am not serving God at all because He wants all of me, not just a part of me. We are easily lured away by the God of consumerism, intrigued with desire, And that desire builds, and it's this this consuming fire that pulls us in. That seems we want more, and the want of wanting more is never satisfied. A consumerist desire is the promise of more, better, or new, but yet it hardly ever delivers. And so we read the ads, we watch the commercials, and there's this promise that these things will will transcend us, they will take us to a different place. We'll be a different person. If we get, if we have, it will elevate us to a, a higher, a higher place, a higher standard. Our culture tells us you need this, you should have this, you deserve this. This is gonna make your life so much better. Make you something more. And we see this type of thinking many times say in, in car commercials. There are certain cars that have this prestige about them. Mercedes, BMW, Cadillacs, Lexus with the big Christmas bow. No one's ever here in our church has ever gotten the big Lexus with the Christmas bow on it. I'm waiting, and and I, we won't we won't mock you if you get one. We'll just be jealous, and and so but it, it, you know, and so these cars have a certain amount of of prestige, and you notice them when you're walking through the parking lot, right? You notice the new Caddy or the new Mercedes. No one. I will say, no one has ever walked by me while I'm getting out of my 91 Blazer and went, dude, nice wheels. Ever. It's never happened to me. I love what you've done with the duct tape on the mirror, man. That just rocks. And so these cars have a a certain prestige to them. But in and of themselves, they're not bad to own. It's not a sin to own. Billy Graham said that he would only buy Cadillacs. Billy Graham. He would only buy Cadillacs. Because he can get 300, 400,000 miles out of them. They're a quality car and they last. There's nothing wrong with quality. The problem comes in when we look for our identity in those things. When we look to, to, to have that car make us feel better. Make us feel like a, a better person, a different person. When we're looking for that car to lift us out of our our miry clay of of, of sadness or whatever you think is going on, that this is going to fix me. I am a much better person because my steering wheel heats up and so does the leather seats. That's not the case. Another area we see this idea of of, of uh, product and, and prestige is is clothes. How many people buy clothes because they would never be caught dead shopping in Walmart? Targets. If you say Target, it's much better, isn't it? It sounds like a French store. Abercrombie and Fitch, the CEO, many years ago said that we will not make clothes for people that are overweight because they want the cool people, the good-looking people, the in-crowd to wear their clothes. I googled the CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch. And I say this with love and in the name of Jesus, but that guy is homely. And he got picked on in school, and I know that's why he said that now. But what does that say to a culture that's so vested in this idea of commercialism? It says, clothes makes the person. Aesthetics over substance. And that's not the case. And so, especially in, in, in the younger generations, and you older people, you were part of a younger generation once, so don't think you've skated through this. That we buy things, we have a certain look because we think many think that it that it makes us better than them. I am not against quality. I I, I have I, I buy a Merle, Merle? Yeah. um hiking shoes. They're expensive, but they last for a long time and they're comfortable. I buy North Face clothes. I have had the same Gore-Tex North Face jacket for 18 years, and it's still waterproof, and it still fits, and it's not falling apart. I'm not against quality things. But when we look to those things to elevate us, to make us feel better about ourselves, we're missing the points. When I go to consignment stores, I look for brand names, because then I can afford. $8 shirts, like nice ones. I'm all about that. Maybe it does make me feel a little bit better, but that's the only way I get that expensive stuff. There's this, this false idea of consumer satisfaction. And you, and you hear that all the time, you know, consumer satisfaction, consumerism breeds dissatisfaction. It has to. Because if you were satisfied with the things that you bought, then you would no longer buy any more things. And that hurts a lot of people's bottom line. And so it breeds a certain amount of dissatisfaction. Advertisers are not going to tell you, this is the last one you need. You are never going to need another one we can't make it any smaller any faster any cooler there's not another single bell or whistle that we can add to this you will never have to buy another one of these ever again so buy ours that's not the way the game is played i think of apple the iphone 5 the iphone 5s the iphone 5c they changed the color and people are standing out the door in line. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I like the iPhone, and 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 it is my weakness. But don't, don't judge me, because God's still sanctifying me. All right? I'm not done yet. But a different color for real. See, sometimes it's not just about getting more and more; it's about getting different. In the new, Jesus would say this Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard. There's an urgency in the words of Jesus to be careful, or all kinds of greed can sneak up on you. And that doesn't mean you're a greedy person. That doesn't mean you're a jerk. That doesn't mean you're you're you know you're just you're just always thinking about yourself. What he's saying is, watch out, be careful, because these things can sneak up on you. Before you even know it, you find yourself you want more, you want the next. You want you want the status you want the, the symbol of owning that they all can creep up on us before we even know it and that is the danger in it no one is immune to it not even us in the church life does not consist life isn't about the happiness that we can find in all of the possessions that we could try to get to ourselves into our homes that's not where life is that's not the Jesus life. And when our desire becomes our life, we actually begin to lose it. We begin to lose life. We begin to lose a quality of life. Because those things are momentary and they will pass. We lose the path that God has called us to walk. And ultimately, for all of us, we are called to walk intimately in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And everything that the world looks for in the in the acquisition of things, they look for status and that whole idea of transcendence, and they want life and they want comfort. It's all temporary because it's found in all these temporary things. It all just it all will go away. From the world's perspective, we can never be satisfied. But Jesus, Jesus, the Jesus way looks at it very differently. You want life, Jesus says, I am life. You want transcendence? Jesus says tells us walk through the narrow gates. You want status? Be a servant to everyone. That's what Jesus teaches. You want comfort? Jesus says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden. See, the Jesus way, the Jesus way is less is more. And so here we go. We are entering into the Christmas season, but the story that society and our culture writes is very different from the original story. The story that our culture kind of celebrates is different from what what the, what the Bible says. Now, here is my here is my rant to you. I am not telling you to go out. And buck all of the seasonal things that happen at Christmas. I'm not telling you, to, we ain't putting lights up. We ain't getting no Christmas tree. You're all getting coal in your stocking because we need to burn it in the furnace. Because oil is way too expensive. I ain't doing none of that stuff. I ain't talking. You know, how dare those people say happy holidays to me. Don't they know it's Christmas? That's not what I'm Because t- if you do that, first of all, don't tell them you come here and then you're just going to be some sanctimonious jerk out there. And if that's the way you want to be, that's fine. But giving gifts, singing songs, Christmas songs, even, even the ones about, about a snowman and the soap and sleigh, the, the, it's not evil. Grab bags are not evil. Office parties are not evil. In fact, when they come together with friends and family, they can be very sacred times. You know, soap and sleigh. One horse, soap and sleigh. Well, right, that's what it is. The soap and sleigh. It's not wrong to sing those songs. You you, you know that most of you are like, yeah, soap and sleigh's. Where we begin to lose it is when we lose our focus. When we begin to lose it, we take our focus off of Christ. And we put it on something else. And then stress and anxiety and frustration begins to keep in. You know, you get frustrated with those people. All those people that are mean and pushy in the mall. And and, and again, how, how dare they tell me happy holidays? It's Merry Christmas. Maybe you look Jewish. And they're trying to be not... No, I'm serious. And they didn't want to offend you. I think sometimes we get frustrated with people because we see a little bit of us in them and we don't like it. Christmas is about this beautiful, prophetic mystery that that we miss all too often. Isaiah, Isaiah says it very well. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace if there's such beauty in that one verse of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see the beauty and the mystery in what Christmas is about. The Jesus story opens us up to God. Opens us up with the divine interacting with us on a very personal level, a very personal place. Jesus is not just a supplement to the world trend right now, the cultural trend. Jesus is the alternative to it. Jesus is the focus for it. We cannot express, we cannot use impersonal ways to express what is a very personal, sacred thing that God is doing. The gospel is very personal. Or it's nothing at all. And since this is such a long season, weeks, We'll be preparing. We have a great opportunity to open dialogue within ourselves and and with other people. We can begin to ask the questions like, like, who are we? Why are we? What is is Christmas all about? We can begin to, to push back the tide in the midst of the everyday, in the midst of the mundane, in the crowded malls, at work, with your family, with your friends. What does it mean to live God with us? What does it look like for us to walk in that God with us? Don't lose the beauty of this time of year. Don't lose the the awe of this time of year in the pursuit of the more. Because sometimes the more can end up being more stress, more anxiety, more frustration. Jesus was born into our suffering world, into our sinful world, to save us and to save the world. That is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the story that we have. And you can speak that story in ways and in the stores. And when you're purchasing things and when you're baking things, you can just love on people with Jesus' love in the midst of all their frustration and anxiety and stress. In the night that Jesus was born, there was only a handful of shepherds and a couple wise guys, wise men. Wise guys, is, either you're a wise guy or you're a wise man, that's much better. But these they're the only ones that noticed. The rest of the world missed it. And the rest of the world continues to miss it this very day. But we can change the cycle. In the midst of our cultural traditions, we can bring the biblical tradition of Jesus saves god is with us peace joy everlasting and so this year we're going to embark on our own little journey our own little christmas journey instead of being bystanders in the story look i mean bystanders of this just kind of looking at it kind of unfold in front of us let's 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 be partakers in the christmas story let's get involved in the christmas story let's let's reclaim even within our society and our culture let's reclaim the jesus story that he has come to save and it's good news it's good news for all people that unto you born this day in the city of david a savior which is christ the lord If we believe that money, if, if we believe money can't, it, all right, let me figure this out. If we believe that it doesn't take money to show and express love, and if you're giving gifts this year, and I would encourage you, give gifts this year. That's not what I'm saying. But if if, if you if you're giving gifts this year to the people that you love as an expression of your love, then the almighty dollar and this consumeristic attitude doesn't have to be the driving force in what we do. There's there's a freedom that we can that we can possess if we finally realize that that money doesn't buy love and money doesn't equal love. And if we can get a hold of that. We are free to both give and receive in a very different way. And so Advent for us this year, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to worship fully, what it means to spend less, what it means to give more, and what does it look like if we were to love everyone? We can ask the question, can Christmas Can Christmas still change the world? I believe it can. I really do. I believe it can when the church that follows Jesus Christ begins to live as the church. And to follow Jesus means that we pick up rhythms And ways that very often go unsaid and unspoken, but we find those rhythms and those ways in Him. They are formed in us by the influence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. And and when it begins to change us and transform us inside, then we begin to act and talk and, and, and just have a different outlook on the outside. To follow Jesus, we cannot separate the things that He's saying from the things that He's doing and the way He's been doing them. And so, church, we begin our journey into Advent, a time of waiting, a time of preparing. It's also a time of celebrating, loving. here comes Christmas. Friends. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. Prepare our souls, our minds for this time of year. God, I pray that it would bring not a collective ug or a collective sigh in people's hearts, but but a joy and an excitement. I pray that grace would be our guiding light. I pray that love would be our foundation. I pray that everything we do would be for the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd give us opportunities to share the Christmas story, both in words and deeds. I pray that that we can be a part of Christmas changing the world. We ask you this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody have a happy, healthy, safe Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week. I love you guys.